Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson, and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Pro-Life Law Blocked. A federal judge has temporarily blocked a new pro-life law in Kentucky that stopped the last two abortion businesses in the Commonwealth from operating. The facilities have now reopened and abortions have resumed. We speak to Kentucky State Representative Nancy Tate, who sponsored House Bill 3. Protecting Children. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has revoked Disney's ability to self-govern after it expressed opposition to Florida's new law that protects young school-age children from transgender ideology. Terry Schilling, president of the American Principles Project, joins us to discuss the alarming push by Disney. We're giving thanks to God that this facility in our community that had been killing unborn children by abortion is now closed. Pro-life win. An abortion business in Charlotte, North Carolina closes down after allegations of malpractice and the hard work of the pro-life community in the state. We speak to advocates who have been on the front lines day in and day out. They share how this victory is just the beginning of helping moms find real solutions. judge has temporarily blocked a new pro-life law in Kentucky, which led the state's two remaining abortion clinics to halt the horrific killings happening there. House Bill 3 limits abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy and requires women to be examined by a doctor before receiving chemical abortion pills. Both abortion clinics in Kentucky have now resumed their life-taking business. Kentucky's Republican Attorney General Daniel Cameron commented on the court's decision and said he is ready to defend the law as litigation continues. Joining us now is the initial sponsor of the law in the Kentucky Legislature, State Representative Nancy Tate. Representative Tate, thanks for joining us. What's your reaction to this law being blocked? So thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You know, the, uh, the intent of the bill, if we go back and look at that, uh, some people have basically said that our intentions were to stop abortions in Kentucky with this bill, and that's exactly contrary to the truth. What we did in 2019 was enact the uh, heartbeat bill, which obviously is still under litigation. But the intent of this bill is, just as it's called humanity and health care, is as long as abortions are legal in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, is for them to be conducted as safely as possible. Uh, and obviously, that's kind of ironic that we say that, considering that this is the only health care where 50 percent of the patients actually die while, during the uh, procedure. But we just wanted to make sure that, especially with the chemical abortion piece, that the uh, abortions are conducted, again, as safely as possible. Mm. And what are the specifics of the law? We know that it limits abortion at 15 weeks. How does it affect abortion businesses? Yeah, so right now in the Commonwealth, uh, abortions are legal up to 20 weeks. But uh, our estimations are that when this bill is enacted and actually becomes law, that potentially we can save as many as 300 lives, potentially, I think, and that's on a monthly basis. Right now, approximately 4,000 abortions are conducted annually in the Commonwealth. And the judge blocked this law because Planned Parenthood and the ACLU filed lawsuits demanding that he do so. This is a trend everywhere that you see new pro-life laws being advanced, that Planned Parenthood and the pro-abortion industry is opposing them. Does anyone else ever challenge these pro-life laws besides these pro-abortion activists? Uh, no, not to my knowledge. And, and you're right, it is a trend. And it's 
from my perspective, uh, there was very little need for them to actually stop their uh, their procedures. Um, to me, it was just sensationalizing in advance of prior to the uh, Supreme Court decision of Dobbs that we anticipate in January, or excuse me, in June. Mm. And Kentucky, we know, is a pretty strongly pro-life state. There are just two abortion businesses left, and that speaks to that. Can you speak to how advancing life-affirming laws on the state level over a period of time can result in a real decrease in abortion and a culture that respects life? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Kentucky. We are a very pro-life state. And actually, if you look at the uh, composition of the General Assembly, that speaks for itself. You know, we've got 30 uh, of our 38 senators are Republicans and basically are very strong pro-life senators. And then in the House, we've got 75 of the 100 members are very pro-life. And so, you know, some people say, which, oh, well, well, did you actually pass this law or you're passing these laws because of it being opportunistic? And the answer is, which came first, the opportunity or the composition of the General Assembly? And I like to say that we have the most pro-life General Assembly in the history of the Commonwealth. And, and, and our laws, the ones that we're passing, basically demonstrate that. Mm. Well, we're thankful that you are passing laws that represent the people of your state. State Representative Nancy Tate of Kentucky. Thank you. Thank you. And joining us now for further analysis is Tessa Longbonds of the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Tessa, thanks for joining me. Talk to me about abortion rates in Kentucky and how this law might have affected what's going on there. Well, thanks so much for having me, Prudence. And uh, certainly, Kentucky is a pro-life state, already has other pro-life laws on the books that keep the abortion rate low, but this law can lower the abortion rate further. Uh, it limits abortion at 15 weeks, and we know that there are hundreds of abortions after 15 weeks in Kentucky every year, so certainly the opportunity here to save lives. And in fact, after the law went into effect, the abortion industry was unable to comply with some of the uh, regulations in the law, and so abortion stopped in Kentucky. And so certainly the opportunity to lower Kentucky's abortion rate even further and save yeah, lives. That's very clear. And Planned Parenthood advocates are complaining that this new law will limit women, especially poor women, from obtaining abortions in the state of Kentucky. Talk to me about how abortion actually impacts poor women. We often hear the argument that women need abortion, but actually that, that's not true. In fact, our research at the Charlotte Lozier Institute shows that abortion doesn't solve women's problems, it just leads to more abortion, doesn't change their life circumstances. Mm. And actually, the law puts in, in place safety protections on chemical abortion and improves informed consent for women. So it's actually protecting women. Chemical abortion is dangerous. It has a complication rate four times that of surgical abortion, an increase in emergency room visits of 500 percent over the past couple of decades. And so Kentucky's law protects women, and it's the abortion industry that doesn't want to follow these safety protections mm, for women. That's very important research. And talk to me about the state of play in Kentucky. I know that they have an amazing pro-life attorney general in Daniel Cameron. They have a strong pro-life legislature, but a very extreme pro-abortion governor. Yes, so it's an interesting situation, a pro-life state with a pro-abortion governor, and actually the governor vetoed this pro-life law, but the legislature was able to override the veto. So Kentucky is pro-life, the people in Kentucky want these pro-life laws, and so we're hopeful that the uh, Supreme Court in the upcoming Dobbs case will give the people of Kentucky and other states 
more ability to pass their own laws on abortion. Mm. And SBA List has been talking a lot about the fact that states all over the country are introducing programs that serve as alternatives to abortion, states like Texas and other pro-life states that are passing strong pro-life laws. Talk to me about that, and do you think that could happen in Kentucky soon? Yes, so there are over a dozen states that have put in place these alternatives to abortion programs, uh, offering women other options, other choices, and support. Um, you mentioned Texas. They have $100 million in their budget for their program that um, provides parents with services like material support, referrals, counseling, mentoring, all of these different options that can give women real choices. And states can create their own programs, tailor them to the specific needs of the state and the unique environment of the state. And so certainly that's something that Kentucky and other pro-life states can explore and put into place. Mm, yes, and you touched on something that I wanna go back to very briefly, chemical abortion and how dangerous it is. You know, with more brick and mortar facilities closing down, like these ones in Kentucky, hopefully if this law is reinstated, abortions will stop there on the ground. How is the abortion industry going to use chemical abortion to continue their agenda? So the abortion industry, chemical abortion has been a strategy of theirs from the beginning, but they've been increasingly pivoting toward it as there's been this pro-life momentum. They are, they've already gotten chemical abortion available through the mail, pushed back against Food and Drug Administration safeguards. So it's now available through the mail, online, and so that's why states like Kentucky are stepping up and making sure that these dangerous mail-order abortions aren't happening and that these protections are being maintained for women. Well, we certainly hope that this law will be allowed to stand. Tessa Longbonds of the Charlotte Lozier Institute, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Walt Disney World has taken the side of liberal teachers and groomers who promote same-sex attraction and transgenderism in schools at the expense of our young children. Disney opposes a new law in Florida which simply states, classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. Conservatives everywhere are calling out Disney and other groups who oppose this law as groomers who are effectively turning our schools into grooming centers where the innocence and the very nature of these young children is being placed at severe risk. Due to their vocal opposition to Florida's new law, Governor Ron DeSantis has dissolved the Walt Disney Resort's privileged tax status and their ability to self-govern the land where the parks are located. Joining me now for analysis is Terry Schilling, president of the American Principles Project. Terry, thanks for joining me. I want to start by simply just asking you, what is grooming and how is endangering our children? Well, in this context, grooming is preparing someone for a certain activity or a position um, where they'll be having an impact. And what we're talking about here is grooming children into a radical sexual and racist ideology in schools pertaining to sexual orientation and gender identity. What a lot of Americans don't know, because we've been so busy at work, uh, because we have an economy that doesn't work for families anymore, is that schools are now teaching our children that they can change their gender at any time, that some people are born in the wrong body, and that there's nothing wrong about being a, you know, any of the millions of different sexual orientations as young as kindergarten, right? So this legislation was a response to the group that's been happening in schools. Um, and I, I just think it's so, um, it's just such a great sign of hope that Governor Ron DeSantis is fighting back against this in a very real way. Yes, and tell me a little more about Florida's new law. I know LGBT 
LGBTQ plus advocates are calling it the don't say gay law, but what does it actually do? Well, you could also, by the, the same standards, call it the don't say straight law. Uh, what this law does is it simply bans inappropriate discussions with children in kindergarten through third grade, and then it requires these types of discussions to be deemed appropriate. Uh, the other thing that I think is really upsetting the left is that it requires schools and teachers to notify parents if there are issues with their child uh, in school. So if a child tells a teacher or a, ch a student or a teacher overhears a student talking about how they're a different gender identity or a different sexuality, they have to notify the parents and get them engaged in the discussion, which is, you know, to 95% of Americans, just basically common sense, right? We all know that parents love their children more than anyone, that, the, that parents know their children better than anyone. Um, so it would be common sense if you didn't have a really bad and nefarious agenda. This bill, the Parental Rights and Education Bill that Ron DeSantis uh, signed into law just a few weeks ago, it's just common sense, and it should have been done a long time ago. Mm. Let's talk about Disney and the entertainment industry. Do they have the best interests of children and families at heart? I know that last year they removed the greeting, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, from the beginning of their fireworks show for the sake of inclusion. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, Chris Rufo, who's a really great American leader, came out with some videos exposing Disney at some of their corporate board meetings, and they had a company-wide uh, Zoom meeting. And one of the, their director of creative content was actually on camera saying that she w was putting queerness in every bit of entertainment, every kid's show that she possibly could, and was bragging that the company was so good on these issues of grooming children that she wasn't getting any pushback at all. Uh, Disney has been having problematic content in their their, their entertainment for years, for decades. Uh, just uh, three years ago, they had on a child drag show. Desmond is amazing, right? Uh, in, in reality, Desmond is being exploited. Desmond is a, uh, a young man um, in Canada who ABC had on with Michael Strahan in Good Morning America, where he performed a drag show in front of adults. Um, this is all grooming. This is all stealing the innocence of children, and, it, and it's incredibly harmful, and, and more Americans should be outraged and, and protesting this. I could not agree more. Terry, tell me a little bit about the American Principles Project. What's your mission there? What are you guys doing to change the culture and the situation that we're in right now. Well, again, Prudence, thanks so much for having me on. We are building what I call the NRA for Families. And what I mean by that is a political and policy organization that organizes families in politics to protect and preserve the American family, our most important institution, in the same way that the NRA does it with gun owners to protect the Second Amendment. So we're involved in fighting for the innocence of children, to protect them in schools, to protect them online from all of the obscene content. Um, and then we're also really concerned about this racist curricula that's dividing our students across the country. So we're involved in all these fights pertaining to the family as it relates to public policy. And we basically go in and elect good guys that'll get the job done and unelect the bad guys that are causing harm and hurt to our families. Well, as you know so well, the family is the bedrock of society. We have to protect it. Thank you so much for your work, Terry Schilling of the American Principles Project. Thanks, Prudence. Coming up, a mainstream media outlet profiles a pro-abortion clinic escort who harasses pro-life advocates and posts about it on TikTok. I speak out. Plus, we take you to Charlotte, North Carolina, where a group of pro-life advocates celebrate the closure of an abortion business.
Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. A clinic escort working for notorious abortionist Leroy Carhart is determined to convince the world that pro-life sidewalk counselors are radical, violent people. That is this week's Speak Out segment. Leroy Carhart is known to travel the country to perform brutal late-term abortions wherever they will allow him to do so. Currently, with clinics in Maryland and Nebraska, he has been sued for medical malpractice, and there were at least 14 known instances where abortions he performed ended in medical emergencies for the mother. Shelley Mann ushers women into Carhart's shoddy clinic in Bellevue, Nebraska, almost every week. She berates peaceful protesters outside of the clinic, whose sole mission is to save the lives of moms and their babies. She yells in their faces, abortion is normal, abortion is health care, and even tells a reporter that every time she arrives at the clinic, she checks the perimeter to see if pro-life people have rigged bombs around it. Those who pray, protest, and counsel outside of abortion clinics are credited with saving the lives of many. They offer a different path for hopeless women who are trapped in the dark lie that they must end the life of their unborn child in order to be okay. Shelly Mann and escorts like her are keeping women engulfed in that lie, putting them at severe risk and enabling now 80-year-old Carhartt to continue killing innocent lives in an extremely dangerous manner. Pro-life sidewalk counselors have closed many clinics down by showing women the reality of abortion. Let's pray they are successful in closing down Carhartt's clinics too. Pro-life advocates in North Carolina have confirmed the closure of an abortion clinic in Charlotte. The family reproductive health abortion business has closed its doors. This, according to active sidewalk counselors who continuously prayed and spoke to women on behalf of the unborn outside of the Charlotte Clinic. The pro-life advocates say the facility stopped providing abortions in July of 2021. We traveled to North Carolina to speak to these brave men and women who shared their excitement about the closure, but say there is still more work to be done in the first in flight state. Abortion is a great evil, and it it's, is a spiritual evil. Um, and so at any place that is committed to abortion, like an abortion clinic, you're going to feel some of that spiritual darkness. This abortion business, Family Reproductive Health, has been operating in Charlotte, North Carolina since the 70s, and pro-life sidewalk counselors in the area decided to take matters into their own hands and stop the killings that were happening here. We just celebrated worker number 83 who's left the abortion business with the help and witness of a sidewalk advocate. And now here in Charlotte, we're marking abortion facility number 29 that's closed its doors for good. Lauren Musica is the founder and president of Sidewalk Advocates for Life. She has been leading the group for about eight years now. She tells us how the abortion clinic on Hebron Street was a very dark place. This was a particularly dark place because there were difficult abortion center escorts that were getting in their way. They were stealing materials out of their hands. They were mocking them. They were calling them names. And yet this group continued to show up for these women to let them know that they loved them, that they had options, that they had resources. An article published in the Daily Wire back in February reported on the malpractice happening inside this particular facility operated by Deborah Jane Walsh. The article pointed out that Walsh allegedly continued to operate her abortion facility without a valid nursing license before its closure. It really does take someone who is really dedicated and committed to understanding the call that we have on the sidewalk. Sidewalk counselors not only help women choose life, they also help abortion clinic workers leave this brutal industry. 
Some of the workers at this very clinic were encouraged by pro-lifers to walk away and ultimately became whistleblowers who exposed the atrocities happening inside the facility. Some of them say Walsh lived inside the abortion clinic and kept a firearm on the premises. One claims Walsh facilitated abortions for minors and sex trafficking victims. We called to confirm the closure of the facility and were met with a message saying the line had been disconnected. We also visited the location ourselves and there were no cars or people in sight during our time there. We're giving thanks to God that this facility in our community that had been killing unborn children by abortion is now closed. And it's really God's work, and it's the fruit of so many people. Father Peter Asik, the director of the new Office of Family Life in the Diocese of Charlotte, often prayed outside of the now-closed abortion facility alongside other sidewalk counselors. He shared with us the importance of helping mothers in need and why we as Catholics should continue to share the message of hope and redemption with women contemplating abortion. We are here in the Catholic Church uh, as other Christians, as all people of goodwill, to walk with women who may be tempted by abortion, who may feel like abortion is their only option. It's not their only option, and we're here to help them find real solutions and real support. He also told us how the Diocese of Charlotte has joined the USCCB's Walking with Moms in Need initiative. If a mom in need would come into this parish or any other parish, she would know there are people there who care about her, people there to support her, and people there to help her find um, whatever resources and whatever support she needs. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.